0: Welcome to Willamette Community Church's Messages Online. Today, Pastor Cyrus is in the Book of Acts, Chapter 4. Hello and welcome again to Willamette Community Church. My name is Cyrus. I am the Associate Pastor here, and I'm so glad you came to worship and celebrate with us on this fine Father's Day. Thank you again for being here. Uh, I have a few things uh, we need to be, uh, we need to have brought out on stage uh, yeah let 's get a few helpers. Thank you very much helpers um, right through that door if you would please because i I have some things I want to share with you, and sometimes it 's helpful to have a a few things uh, to you know help us all visualize what i 'm talking about so um, if you haven 't been here, then you maybe aren 't sure what this season of action is all about, but uh, we have been studying, preaching, and trying to learn through the book of Acts. Ooh, there you go. Some of these things I like more than others. Yeah, put this one right. We'll put that right over here by the weed here. There you go. Ooh, yeah, i got to take care of the books. I've got to take care of our studies here. There we go. Ooh, yeah. Right over there. Thank you, Craig. Thank you very much. In the book of Acts, we see the story of Jesus continued. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Gospels tell the story of Jesus. Oh, one of Craig's favorites, I see. Oh, yeah, bring out the Little League stuff. That's great. Yeah, thank you, thank you. I might use you guys a little later, okay? So be ready. And today, as we get into Acts chapter 4, I think you will find that uh, your life and mine is actually not that different than the lives of the disciples. So if you would, if you have a Bible or some kind of uh, nifty device that has the scriptures in there, Go ahead and tap your way or turn your way to Acts chapter 4. That's page 911 in the Pew Bible there in front of you. And I will give you a review. Um, Some of you may watch those those shows that have the, uh, they often start with previously on, you fill in the blank there, right? Last time on the episode of Gilligan's Island, or whatever, that'd be a part two, right? So instead, I'm going to say, previously in the book of Acts, the resurrected Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will all be my witnesses. And the disciples hear this, and they wait in Jerusalem, and that's exactly what happened, The Holy Spirit fills the followers of Jesus. They preach the good news, the great and mighty deeds of God. And people are hearing their heart languages from all over the Roman Empire. And things are happening. They preach the good news and thousands believe and the church is born. That brings us to about chapter 3, which Pastor Scott was preaching from last week. While Peter and John, some of the disciples and the leaders of this Jesus movement, they were on their way to the temple to pray. And there was a man that was begging. He was lame from birth. His legs were unable to walk and move. And so this man was there receiving alms or charity And he was asking people as they walked by for charity. Well, Peter and John acknowledged him and they said, rise and walk. And that's exactly what he did. Those legs were strengthened and the man began running and leaping and praising God. Well, as you can imagine, a man that's 40 years old running and leaping and praising God that had never been able to use his legs before got the attention of those people there at the temple. And a crowd began to gather, and this man's celebration drew a crowd and a controversy. For as the crowd came, Peter began to preach the message of resurrection from the dead in Jesus And this greatly annoyed this specific group of leaders called the Sadducees. You see, the the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. In fact, that's why they're sad, you see. Because they don't believe in the resurrection. Happy Father's Day. You're welcome. Because they didn't believe in the resurrection, that is why they were sad, you see. So anyway, they really uh, were very annoyed with Peter preaching the resurrection and Jesus being resurrected because they didn't believe in that. And so what they did is they took Peter and John and the healed man and they threw him in jail because they could. And that's where our story picks up. And we're going to look at Acts chapter four, verse five. And we're going to note How we, like Peter, are saved to be Jesus-centered. Saved to be Jesus-centered. What do you call it when you're thrown in jail and then you're brought before the rulers and the judges? A trial. And that's why the, the name of this sermon is On Trial. So, read with me, if you would, follow along and listen. Acts chapter 4, verse 5. On the next day, the sun has risen, and our bold friends are behind bars. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John, not the John we know and love, but a different John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them, which is Peter and John and the healed man, when they had set them in the midst of the rulers and the leaders and the elders and the scribes of Jerusalem and Israel, they inquired, they asked this question. By what power or by what name did you do this? So this is the circumstances of the trial. Okay, This is the setting. And we have to get a good grasp on what's going on here. The most powerful, pious, and influential people in Israel have all gathered together to question Peter and John and this healed man. Okay? And the reason this is so significant is because of who these people are. You see, the elders, the scribes, the council, these are the mucky mucks, the big wigs, the big deal people, do you know who I am kind of people. That's who these people are. They are very empowered people. I mean, obviously, they can just throw people in jail because they don't like what they're teaching about, right? So this is kind of a scary situation. You're on trial, but that's not all who these people are. These were the same people that paid Judas 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus. These are the same people that took Jesus and put him on trial. These are the same people that made sure Jesus was beaten and crucified. These are the same people that had a guard of Romans outside of Jesus's tomb to make sure that no one would mess with his body. These are the same people that then, when the tomb was empty and Jesus was resurrected, came up with a lie to cover up the empty tomb. These are the same people that then paid the soldiers to spread the lie why the tomb was empty. These are the same people that knew about Jesus that knew about his followers. And these are the same people that are asking, by what power or by what name did you do this? Do you think these people have an idea of what was happening in Jerusalem? Do you think these people had an idea of who Jesus was and what his followers were about? Yeah, yeah. So what were they doing? They were intimidating. They were questioning, challenging, pushing and pulling on Peter and John to get them to explain themselves. What are you all about? What is at the center of all this? Why are you doing what you're doing? Our our friends were on trial. Do you think they realized it? Do you think Peter and John realized they were on trial? They looked out. They saw the high priestly family. Everybody who was anybody was right out there. Do you think they realized they were on trial? Can I see a nod of the head? Thank you, Gil. Yeah. So here's the next question. Do you realize that you're on trial? Do you realize that you're on, tri- on trial almost every day? in the court of opinion, in the court of your family, maybe not, behind, maybe not in front of the most powerful and influential people in the United States, but you're still on trial. Your friends, your family, your neighbors, your coworkers, people are watching you. They're asking questions about you. They're challenging you. They're pushing you. They're pulling on you to find out what your life is really all about. They are waiting to make judgments and they're waiting to determine their ruling on your life and what you represent. They want to see if you're stable, they want to see what is at the center of your life. So I'll ask you what are the circumstances of your trial? Is it related to health? Is it related to family? Is it related to finances? We could go on and on and and look at life from all these different perspectives and recognize that we are on trial of some kind or another. So how will you deal with this? How will you endure this trial? Well, let's look at how Peter dealt with it. Here in verse 8, we see Peter explains Jesus as the center of it all. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deal, excuse me, in concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Wow. That's a powerful message. Let's note a few things. Number one, you'll notice that Peter is filled with, relying upon, walking with, led by, dependent on the Holy Spirit. That's the very first thing we see. Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. What kinds of people would we be if our responses to difficulties and challenges were filled with the Holy Spirit? If we considered God the Holy Spirit's working in our life and his desires, and if we responded to challenges and difficulties that way, how different would our lives be? Secondly, we see that he glorifies. Peter glorifies God. Let it be known to all of you, to all the people that are are in Israel, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. He's giving credit where credit is due. The focus is on God the Father and his work through Jesus Christ the Son. What if that was our focus? What if that was the way we responded to people? By glorifying God and recognizing Jesus Christ at the center of it all. Then he goes on. He doesn't just merely answer their question, by what name or by what power is this man healed? Because let's be honest, the reality is, Peter knew that they knew. That's why he even set it up the way he did. If you are being examined, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed to to this crippled man, by what means he was healed, I'll tell you. But then he goes on. This Jesus is the stone that that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. The concept of the cornerstone is one that is not new to the rulers and scribes. In fact, if you have the, the notes, the sermon notes, on the very back, at the bottom, you'll see some suggested readings for the week. Those passages are cornerstone passages. And you'll notice that there are multiples throughout the Bible. This concept of the cornerstone was very important and influential not as much to us because we don't build with cornerstones that often right but a cornerstone was often number 1 very large and it was it was as true and as plumb and square as as any other stone could be and that was the corner of the building and that cornerstone was what everything else was going to be built from because it was true and right in every way. So this idea of cornerstone was one that was very clear to them. And then what does he go on to say? There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So Peter takes this opportunity to then really drive the message home. But in my desire to drive the message home, I want want to use an illustration. Uh, Volunteers, would you come on up here? I've asked Mr. Craig Glasser to bring uh, his fine children up here. And uh, I am pleased to call Craig a friend. He is... uh, one of, one of the guys around here that has committed himself to studying God's Word, and he teaches the men's Bible studies at 6 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for guys like Greg. <laughs> right. But tell me a little bit more about your life and uh, who these fine children are. So I've got Chrissa and Aubrey and Braden with me, and then my wife Holly back in the back. Uh, she can wave. Hi, Holly. So yes, us us five. And uh, tell me a little bit about how you spend your time during the week. Yes, so I'm the maintenance supervisor at Mennonite Village. And so Mm -hmm. I do that and I hang out with family as much as I can during the week. All right, so you kind of fix stuff. I fix stuff. All right, so uh, you know how things work, or at least you learn how to fix them. And uh, that means you got to be pretty strong, you got to be pretty smart. Uh, Let's put that to the test, okay? Come on up over here. All right. So we're talking about life on trial. And the reality is that Peter was being pushed and pulled by these leaders, right? They were trying to figure out what was going on. And so we want to picture that with Craig right here. So Craig, you seem like a, a sturdy fellow. Uh, you enjoy sports and outdoors activities? Of okay, well... Here you go, that's uh, outdoor activity, and uh, here you go, this is um, my stuff for coaching Little League, there you go, but you also st- like to study God's Word, right? So here I got some Bible study books, there you go, good, and uh, you said you likes to f- you like to fix things, right? So you better have a toolbox, okay, and uh, do you have a home? You got to take care of your home, right? Okay, so... Here you go. Got to just set that right there. All right. Now, um, uh, would you please stand on one leg? Sure. All right. So uh, wait just a second, kids. I know your your dad's in a very uh, vulnerable position right now. But this is a great representation of life, isn't it? And and what you'll notice is that, uh, well, maybe what you don't notice is that he's starting to just... There's a little bit of all the muscles working real hard. Um, And if you'd imagine this platform is like Christ, the cornerstone, right? And he's standing upon it and he can make it. But what you notice is if he's only partially committed to Christ, then when challenges come, even little ones, go ahead, you, just you, what happens (laughs) is that he's, He's not real stable, right? Okay, so go ahead. You can use two feet now, okay? There you go. And I'll take the weed whacker from you. Okay, okay. Here, I'll, I'll, ta- I'll, take, I'll take this from you because, I mean, you only do that just a, one season out of the year. So, yeah, you can handle that, right? It's much better. Um, he's got two feet on the ground. He's more committed to Christ, but he's still got a lot going on, right? So let's see what happens. Kids, go ahead. Give another try here. Oh, oh, he, ooh, look, he's starting to lean in. He's starting to be able to stand up straight. Now, if you, if you let go of a few more things, it gets easier, huh? And as your priorities change, it gets even easier. So now go ahead and let's see if you can. Oh, he you can't make him budge. Oh, it takes a lot, doesn't it? But if he really braces himself, go ahead, really brace yourself, get in that athletic position. Yeah, go ahead, kids. Oh, no, I can't budge him, right? So let, let me just, this isn't meant to hurt your feelings, kids, but the, the pushing we feel in life is often the pain, right? It's not always kids, but it could be family. It could be health. It could be job-related. There are a lot of challenges. There's a lot of pain in life that really pushes on you, right? But that's really not our greatest struggle is it? It really is a major struggle, but I don't know if it's the greatest struggle. It's definitely not the only struggle because you see, if he really braces himself for the pain, then he can become really vulnerable to pleasures as they pull him in. You see, that's the reality that we live in. We live in a world where we, we really brace ourselves for pain, for life pushing on us. But the pleasures of life, they pull us in. And we're often easily persuaded. So he's got life pushing on him. Go ahead, kids, push one more time. And he's also got pleasure pulling on him. How is he going to be stable? Well, what if he gets on his knees? Is he going to be more stable now? Yeah. But he'll still struggle. go ahead kids and step down. No, no, no. Step, 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 step down. You guys can wrestle with dad later. Okay. But what's the way that he's going to become as stable as possible? If Christ is the cornerstone, if he is our foundation, the only way that we can become completely stable is when we're completely submitted to him. And that looks like laying face down on Christ, completely submitted to the Lord. Thank you, Craig. Thank you, kids. You guys did great. I appreciate that very much. This is the reality of life. We have pain pushing on us, but we also have pleasure pulling us. And it's very, very difficult to keep ourselves centered on Jesus. It's very difficult to build our lives on Christ. This example here was assuming that you're a believer on Christ, living and building your life on Christ. But we don't always do that as believers. In fact, there's a a story about the man who builds his house on the rock and the man who builds his house on the sand. Right, And the reality is there are areas in which our lives are being built on the sand and we don't even realize it. Our lives, our dreams, our daydreams, our thoughts, our work, our worship, our family, our marriage, our relationships and friendships, our parenting, our health, our hobbies our pleasure, and even our addictions, we must give them over completely to him. If the platform represents the cornerstone, which is Jesus, then we also have to wrestle with what happens when you build on something besides Jesus. And the reality is those things shift beneath us. They're not stable Those things can be good things. They can be pleasures. They can be things like people, jobs, dreams, security, finance, hobbies, skills, your work, your health. They can all be taken away from you. They can all shift out from underneath of you because they're not permanent and they're not promised. And your life will come crashing down In fact, very good things in your life can become ruling things. Which means you have gone from pursuing something good to worshiping something as an idol. Again, that can be people. That can be jobs. It can be money. It can be finance. It can be a lot of things. Your own health. Things that are good things can become ruling things. To put it another way, the things that compel you in life can quickly then control you. A good thing compels you, and then it can become a controlling thing, and before you know it, you're enslaved to that thing. We must not only be um, braced or prepared for the pain of life, we also have to be aware of the pull of pleasure. You see, even Peter and John, in the midst of their trial, they have both things happening. On one hand, there is some allure, no doubt, of all of these powerful people. If we agree with them, maybe they could share their influence, and we could maybe. Or maybe we could, we have this amazing power. We just healed a man. Maybe we could use that for our own gain and glory. They had their own. Pleasures and pain to deal with. You see, the pain of persecution for preaching the gospel is real, too. And I believe that in Scripture, this is the first example that we have of people being persecuted because of preaching Jesus. So, what are you building your life upon What is at the foundation? You see, we aren't as familiar with cornerstones, but for those of you who have built something, you can't imagine pouring a concrete foundation without forms. Right? Without something to keep it all together. And that is like Christ. Let's get back to our story. Here, verse 13, now when they, the rulers, the leaders, the chief priests, the chief priests in his family, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave, the council then conferred with one another. Do you have the story? Do you have the picture in your head? So there are probably 70 plus men in this room the Sanhedrin, the council was at least 70. And then you had the high priest family, and you had all of these people. So maybe a hundred men. And then you had two or three, I think three men. You had the healed man, Peter and John, standing before them. And these men are on trial. And then after this response, they say, okay, you guys can leave. And they all turn to one another and they say, What do we do now? How are we going to respond? They said, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more in, no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So these powerful, pious, influential people are challenged by the message of Jesus. And that still happens today. The message of Jesus challenges the powerful. It challenges the pious, the ones who think they're real spiritual, and holy. The message of Jesus, Jesus challenges them. Those people who are influential are challenged by the message of Jesus. You see, what surprised them was the boldness. Here were these men who had very little to support them. They weren't part of the, the cultural religious framework. Yet, here they are, making a tremendous difference. They had misplaced priorities. They said, these men are common, uneducated. And this astonished them. You see, they weren't trained in the traditional, classical, Greek, and Hebrew ways of education. So what was special about them? Look at the end of verse 13. This is what was so special about these men. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. That's what was undeniably different. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. Let's just take a a minute and consider this. Men and women of Willamette Community Church, this is a prayer for for all of us, that we would be recognized as having been with Jesus. What if our lives were characterized by having been with Jesus? Fathers, mothers, men, women, what if our lives were different because we spend time with Jesus? As a father, I would love for my children to say, Dad, we can tell you're more patient, you're more kind. Of course, the five-year-old usually won't use these words. Maybe the 25-year-old will. I don't have a 25-year-old. I'm just thinking someday, maybe in the future, my children might go, Dad, we noticed you were different because of Jesus. Maybe. Maybe. But that is tremendously possible if I spend more and more time with Jesus. What if my life was more centered and stabled and submitted to Christ as my king and my leader? Then people would be able to recognize that I have been with Jesus. Let this be said of us. People at Willamette Community Church are known for being people that spend time with Jesus And they are different because of it. The leaders were challenged by this message. And so they challenged them in response. Let's see how Peter and John handled this challenge. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Bravery. Bravery despite the push and pull of the powerful in the midst of the trial. It was bravery. That was the response to the challenge. Recognizing that obedience to God is more important than their own comfort. Obedience to God was more important than the pain that they were experiencing from the push and the pull of this challenge. There is fear and desire here in this story. Fear of what could happen, but also the desire to make things all go away. Yet they stood firm. They were fully Submitted and stable and centered on Christ. What a good message for you and for me. Peter says, should we obey God or should we obey you? And then he leaves them to judge. This trial is coming to an end. Peter has given his final statement. They are not that different than the Old Testament prophets that went before kings and delivered the message to the leaders of Israel in their time, even if they didn't want to hear it. Well, one last push, one last attempt from the leaders, verse 21. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. That's really old in Bible times. Okay? Maybe not so much now. I'm getting close there myself. But here you see, this is an amazing situation. They're still trying to what? Push and influence them. Quit teaching Jesus. Quit living Jesus. They're trying to make Peter and John come off center. Step off of that cornerstone. What about you? Do you struggle with fears and desires? Do you feel the push and and the of life, the pain of life? Do you feel the pull of pleasure? I'm sure you do, because it's it's reality for all of us. And the reality is that we have a choice. We can either try to deal with it ourselves, we can either try to balance it all, and even even acknowledge Jesus, or we can completely submit our lives to him. I, I could have represented the church and stood next to Craig up here and helped him as he was being pushed because that's a great picture too isn't it that's that's the body of Christ working together helping each other right fear and doubt they come from multiple sources but they're not all external sources fear and doubt also come from within and so we have to be able to walk with God, remember Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. This is something that we must live out day in and day out. We must remain centered and stable on Jesus as our foundation and cornerstone. For there is salvation in Jesus and in no one else. In this story, you saw that people were made well. Not just the man who was unable to walk, but Peter was made well as in this process of being transformed by Jesus. People were made bold. People were made stable. All because of Jesus. And he wants to do those things in your life too. He wants to help you be whole and healthy. He wants you to be stable. He wants you to be bold. But all because of Jesus. When we are centered on Jesus, when he is our chief cornerstone... When he is that stabilizing factor for life, we are able to endure the difficulties and challenges that come. However, we often have a tendency to use inferior building products and materials and inferior building methods. We need one another to come alongside us so that we can build our lives, be centered and stable on Christ. The reality is we are all on trial and we have to have one another to help us through it. Peter had John, he had the Holy Spirit and we see in the scripture right before this story, 5,000 also believed. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would consider the things that are destabilizing us, these things that are Underneath our foundation or things that we are building upon that will ultimately let us down. God, I pray that you would help us examine our heart. Help us answer this question of stability. That we would be able to examine our lives and really see what is at the center. What is pushing on us and what is pulling on us. What is is trying to get our attention, to get our love and our worship? Lord, I pray that we would take the time that that we need with you so that we would be prepared to handle the trials of life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today and looking into God's Word. Join us again next week as we continue our study.